Would you like to see the roots of your Christian faith? Follow Jesus' footsteps and marvel at the places where biblical prophecy is unfolding? Well, you can this summer. Join me, Bill Bunkley, and Pastor Ralph Yankee Arnold on our pilgrimage to Israel and Jordan. You'll learn Israel's history from our guide, Boaz Shalgi, prophecy from Pastor Yankee, and biblical teaching from me. Your cost is just $45.95, double occupancy, including round-trip air from Tampa, two meals a day, private Wi-Fi motor coach, Israeli and Jordanian guides. Space is very limited. A $700 deposit secures your spot with final payment not due until May the 10th, giving you time to budget. To see all the places on our 10-day pilgrimage to Israel and Jordan, June 24th through July 4th, go to BillBunkley.com. That's BillBunkley.com. Or call me at 813-264-2977. That's 813-264-2977. To die that he might give eternal life that I might live and turn my darkness. Well, take your Bible and turn to the book of Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter eight. For a couple more Sundays we're still talking about the idea of what we are and what we have and, and what we give between us and the Lord. And really, it's a, it's a personal thing between you and God. And it's a sign of your love for the Lord, your dedication to the Lord. And he also tells us to be thankful in all things. Be thankful. Uh, even things that God doesn't seem to bless you with at the moment that you expect uh, can be a blessing because God teaches us a little patience. And uh, sometimes we don't get to do all the things that we want when we want to do them, but that's okay. We can endure anything for a short period of time. And this whole life is just a short period of time. Just a little vapor that appears for a while and then vanishes away. But here in 2 Corinthians in chapter 7, uh, the Apostle Paul, you know, he'd been talking to a bunch of carnal Christians. He chewed them out pretty good. But then they begin to correct a few things from the first book. And now you're in the second book, the letter that he wrote to them, and uh, talks about them, how that we are workers and labors together. And so um, the first book really chews them out pretty bad. Second book kind of lets them know, look, we're we're all in this together. We're working together. Just look right quick there in verse 1 of chapter 6. See there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. We then as workers, see that, together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. It means this period of life that God's given to us, which we don't deserve. See, when God saved you, he could have just took you on home, but he left us here. So did he leave you here in vain? Did he leave me here just so I could be happy myself? Is it all about me? Or is it about God has a work to be done and he wants us to work together to get it done? What was interesting in the last uh, week, we've had probably seven or eight that trusted the Lord while I was up in Georgia. That people have listened to different messages, Germany and California and just you know, different places where people have watched uh, some of the messages. Trust the Lord. But he says that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, hold your place right here and look there in the book of 
1 Corinthians in chapter 15. 1 Corinthians in chapter 15. Now look at this. This is what Paul says, because you can't answer for the whole church, but you are going to give an account of yourself. He says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Because God's grace is why he was saved. God leaving him here when he could have took him home was God's grace. God allowed you to live after you trust the Lord and you didn't deserve it. So your whole life after you're saved is, is a grace. It's, it's a gift of God. So he says, and his grace which was bestowed upon me, the power and the desire to do the will of God, was not in vain. See that word? It's not in vain. Now, there are some of God's children who live their lives in vain. They waste their lives. They don't use it for the Lord, so they're not thankful. So we should always be thankful to the Lord. Uh, I believe it's kind of like my living for the Lord is my way of saying thanks to the Lord for what he's done for me. So this is what he's talking about. And then he says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, how can you put labor and grace together? If it's grace, how can it be labor, work? Because the privilege to live for the Lord is grace. You didn't deserve that. But then your labor for the Lord, as he says, I labored more abundantly. In other words, I took advantage of my opportunities. I took advantage of it. I didn't waste my life. And therefore, look at all the things that Paul went through that could have stopped most people, but he didn't stop. So he said, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Now, we often make the statement, when we stand before the Lord, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, there's a difference between the word work and labor. Uh, you can look and see, okay, here's the building. All right, now, this is a work. This is a completed work. There's a work. We can look at ranch and say, well, now, there's a, a work. And somebody on mission, there's a work. But labor, nobody really sees all the labor that goes in to producing that work. You may look at a picture on a wall and say, boy, that's a you know, a, a great work, but that's the work, that's the finished part, but you don't know about all the labor that went into making that work. Now, when it comes between you and I and the Lord, does God see the work that we do? Yes. But does he also see all the labor that we put in? Sometimes there's a lot of concern and prayers and all the contacts that you have to make, the sweat, the tears, even sometimes the worry you go through. God sees everything behind the scenes. Some people can just see the work. And they, for example, can some people come here on a third Sunday dinner, walk in here, walk back there, and look at that beautiful work of art of all that food all over the place. Now they can see the work that's been done. But do they really see all the labor that was put into it? Do they know what everybody did? When you had to slave at home trying to figure out how to cook a 20-pound turkey and then cut it up 
you had to go to the store, you had to buy it, you have to do all this, and then get up early that morning, bring it up here, bring it back there. All the labor that goes in, nobody sees all of that. I mean, you have Ken back here that gets up here and comes and does the labor and work behind the scenes. All we know is we sat down and enjoyed the work that he did. But God's going to judge you, not only according to the work, but according to the labor. That's why he says, judge nothing before the time, because all we see sometimes is what a person does, but we don't see what they went through to do it. And that's why that is so important. So he says, God's grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. Now go back to 2 Corinthians in chapters, uh, chapter 8, because we're talking about a little subject that we kind of hint toward at times, and we have several times in the Sunday school lessons, but notice what it says in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. People that don't have much, but did something. I just believe everybody ought to do something. Every child of God should serve the Lord in some way. When it comes to missions or the support of God, I believe everybody ought to do something. It'd be a shame to go through life and you never did anything. Never did anything. Won't that be a shame when they get to heaven? And God says, what did you do for me? Nothing. I lived my whole life just for myself. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, we're going to say a little bit about that tonight. But now look what he says in verse 3. For to their power, that means their ability to give, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, beyond their ability, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that means great desire, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. In other words, they want to have a part in what Paul was doing as he traveled around ministering to other people, and they wanted to have a part in that. And so he says in verse 5, And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. You think that's important? You see, if God gets me, God gets anything I have. But if God you know, doesn't get me, then I'm going to try to hang on to everything that I have. But wouldn't it be neat if just, everybody just loved the Lord and just trust the Lord and see God work in our lives. Insomuch that we desired Titus that he had, as he had begun. So he would also finish in you the same grace also. So what others have done, you will do. Because in Macedonia, and in, in, now here in Corinth, do what you're supposed to do. Do it because you want to. He's telling them they gave themselves first to the Lord. Because that's the reason, the key to really joyful giving. Because, you know, I'm doing this for the Lord. And anything you do for the Lord, are you really going to lose? Whatever I do for the Lord, is that going to be some gold, silver, and precious stone that's laid up in heaven? And God's going to reward you for doing that? Because you gave yourself first, you love the Lord? I think it's things that we ought to always keep in mind. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound... In everything, in faith and utterance, what you say, knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. That's why we call it grace giving. You give because you want to. 
grace giving. We give because we love the Lord. See, he's done so much for us, and it's our way of saying thank to the Lord for allowing us to live, allowing us to make a little bit so we can give a little bit, and God is pleased. He says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment. In other words, I'm not commanding. You don't have to do it at all. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give a nickel. Don't have to. But you'll have to answer to the Lord. And God may have to chasten or discipline. But look what he says. He says in verse 8, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others. And get this, you ought to underline this in your Bible if you don't have it underlined. And to prove the sincerity of what? Your love. In other words, you say you love the Lord, God says prove it. Prove it. It's because this is what God's will is, then I prove that I'm willing to obey the Lord and trust the Lord by giving as I should. Then he says this in verse 9, and this is a tremendous verse. Look what he says. For we know, ye know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Did you realize that every person you went to Christ, you're helping them to become rich? Because look where they're going to go now. Look at their new home now. Where's it going to be? Look at their new body now. And if you hadn't led them to the Lord, they'd have gone to hell. But now they're going to heaven. So you're making many people rich in, in, in the right things. And one day they'll have that new body, that new home, that new fig tree maybe. Opportunities to serve the Lord. Just look how lives can be changed just by sharing the gospel. Though he says here in verse 10, And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. In other words, you committed yourself a year ago. This is what you're going to do, and you've done it. So it's a, a commendation, you know, a pat on the back. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Then he also says in verse 11, Now therefore, perform the doing of it. In other words, you say what you're going to do. All right, now do it. Lyle, do we have people that say, Okay, I'm going to take and give so much a month. Did you know that sometimes if it's out of sight, out of mind, and you don't think about it anymore, and then, eh, that was last month. That was two months ago. Or is it something that, well, I should... I should keep doing what I promised God. Look what he says. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will. You had the desire. You're ready to do I'm going to do this. So he says, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. In other words, never worry about giving what you don't have. This is what you do have, what you can do. Some people can do something, but they don't want to do that. Well, if I had a wonderful, great singing voice, well, I'd sing in the choir. Well, maybe you don't have to have the best singing voice to sing in the choir. You don't have to be the best. You ever think just God uses just plain old common people sometimes just to do the best you can. Do what you can with what you have. Now, some people can sing. Some people can't sing. We understand that. But you don't have to be the best in order to do it. Look what else he says here in verse 12. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. 
In other words, let's say, for example, I got five men up here, and we got a great big old log on our show. You know, one of those telephone poles? They're big. They're heavy. We got five men carrying them. Would it be easier if there were more men carrying that log? Share the responsibility? But sometimes we have, out of those five, a couple of them says, you know, this is so heavy, I quit. Oh, good, that's good. Now it makes it a lot lighter on the other three, right? And that's the way it is in the Lord's work. Somebody says, you know, if I don't do it, somebody else will. Well, I've lived long enough to find out that not somebody's always going to step forward and do it. And you don't have anybody to do it. So are you important? Well, I always tell people, you can't quit unless you've got somebody better than you to take your place. Isn't that good? But at least you understand more hands on that burden makes the burden lighter for everybody else. And the burdens that we have here in the church, there's always, you know, our budget we got to have. You know, because there's certain things you got to have. Is it um, lighter if people get mad and quit about something and they take their money with them, right? Most people, when they leave the church, do they take and leave their money? Or do they take it with them and give wherever they go? But what if you've already gone out on a limb and then somebody can just get mad about anything and then they quit and then now what are you going to do? Does the burden become heavier or does it become lighter? So you see, everything we say and do makes an effect. Look what else he says here. In verse 13, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there may be equality. You say, well, this sounds like communism. That this is willingly. This isn't some dictator making you do it and put you in prison if you don't. There's a I think about God talking about caring for one another. But he also says if a man won't work and he can work, he don't eat. It says that in the New Testament too. Man doesn't work, then he ought not eat. Well, that would make more people work. But if you keep feeding all the people that don't want to work, after a while, is that going to grow? It gets worse and worse. In other words, instead of carrying this burden, the two people that quit, isn't it lighter on them now? Why should they come over here and carry this log if those three people are doing it? So why should they help? Why should they do anything? Let others do it. And that's where we are in the country. We have produced people that live off the subsidies of the government. Now, things that you have a right to and you paid into, you ought to have a right to get out. But there's so much that are just politicians who are making the people who gave write in little laws called illegal plunder. And they plunder the people who work and give it to the people that don't work. So, see, those people, they can't make those people give it to them. But this politician can make you give it by taxing you. And if you don't, we'll take your home. We'll take your job. We'll confiscate your wages and make you give this money. Why? Because I want to give it to these people over here that I like. Now, does that sound like the American way? Now, you know, something's wrong with this picture. Because if you can do this, the people always vote for the person who promises to give them the most. 
And you watch the politicians today and see who's promising the most. I said one time, I'm going to run for government, and I promise to do nothing for you. Wouldn't it be a different platform? I promise to do nothing for you. What are you going to do for me? Nothing. Because they can't do anything for you until they take something from you. All politicians can do is take something from you. And then they give it to whoever they want. I don't want a politician like that. I want a politician that represents and lets people alone. Those that work, eat. Those that won't work, don't eat. You say, that's cruel. No, it's not. I'm talking about if they can't work is one thing. But if they can work, you know, I was noticing uh, all those people coming across those refugees, you know. A lot of those people looked like they were between 17, 18, and 30 years old. Seems like if you've got 100,000 of them that left their homes, why don't you just give them a gun to go back and take your country? There's only 10,000 of them. What kind of men are you? What kind of men are you? You, 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 you flee out of there and uh, let 10,000 people take your home? You ought to be in there fighting to the death. But they're not. I think there's uh, more to it than that. But anyway, as we're moving right along. Look what he says here. In verse 14, but by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there be inequality. As it is written, he that hath gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. So he's talking about people caring for one another and believe in that. And that's why Paul says up there that it says in verse 10, look what he says in verse 10. Herein I give my, what's that word? In verse 10, herein I give my advice. But this is expedient for you who have begun. In other words, I'm giving advice. This is not a command that you have to do. You don't have to do this. See, in verse 8, I speak not by what? Commandment. Now, God told him what to write to those children in Corinth so that they would know what God wants. But it's not a command. It's something God wants us to do because of a thing called G-R-A-C-E, grace. Because you love the Lord. And because you love people. And because you want to. And if you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. But he says some things here that are very interesting. As you go there, look in 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. And look now in verse 23. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you. Or our brethren be inquired of. These are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. So he had times Timothy and he had Titus and they would visit churches and see how they're doing. Sometimes collect the offerings and so forth and bring it to them. So there had to be trust. In verse 24, wherefore show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. Now you talk about somebody that is really called a sandwich technique. You know, the sandwich technique is a sandwich, bread, something good, bread. The sandwich technique in dealing with people is compliment, 
little criticism, compliment. And people can take the criticism or the, you know, little word of advice better if you brag on them and then brag on them. Compliment them. I boasted on you. I bragged on y'all. You know, y'all were so poor. You didn't have anything. And look what you have done. Is that complimented or what? In the first part of chapter 8. And so then now he's telling them, let me give you some advice. So boom, advice and boom, sandwich technique. So he's doing the same thing here. And look in verse 24. You ought to underline those words. The proof of your love. Now, do you say you love the Lord? All right, what's the proof of it? You know, the only way I could prove to anybody or to the Lord that I loved him and that I trusted him was I was willing to forsake everything in this world and run the risk of ruining God's reputation if he didn't take care of me. (laughs) I used to tell the Lord, Lord, don't you ever expect me to stand in the pulpit and tell people that you're going to supply their needs if you can't do it for me. So I'm going to give you the chance. I'm going to give him a chance. I said, Lord, I am forsaking everything. I quit my job. I travel across the United States. Got a wife and two kids and no job waiting for me. Don't know how I'm going to live. I don't know how I'm going to make it. But you said you'll lead and guide and direct. Go for it. And see what happens. Well, I thought there's a number of times I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to die. And I just knew there's, there's no way God, how is God going to get me out of this mess? I was always in a mess. You know, one of the greatest experiences, I, I wish I hadn't been so um, hard-headed at the time. But I had just about run out of patience with God. Because I had given God a deadline. And God didn't seem to hear me or care. And I was down in Florida, and um, both kids, little kids, they both got sick, had no insurance, both in the hospital for two weeks, no insurance. I'm going to Bible college, and I don't have any money. I was broker than the Ten Commandments. And I kept thinking, how in the world am I going to pay this hospital bill and to pay for the doctor's bill? But after two weeks, they call me up and says, uh, you can come and pick up your children. I thought, oh, no. (laughs) Not that they didn't want my kids. I knew I had to go into the finance office. And I got to tell them how I'm going to pay my bill. And I thought, well, maybe they can just keep the kids forever. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. So I thought, the last thing I want them to know is that I go to a Bible college. I didn't want them to know that the God that I'm serving and trusting is going to meet my needs. But he he didn't have enough money to pay my hospital bill. And I was ashamed. I really was. So the night before, I knew I got to go in there. So the night before, I'm out there on these clotheslines in the dark. And Betty's in the house with the kids. And I got tears. And I was really just blessing God out. I said, look what you've done to me. I said, you told me to trust you. I trusted you. You're going to come through. You didn't come through. And I said, and you expect me to tell people you're going to meet their needs and all that. And you had not come through. And I was letting them have it. But I was sincere and I was crying because I I knew this is not right. It's not right. God's supposed to come through and he ain't come through. So that morning, 
I had to go down to the hospital. And I had to walk in there to see that guy behind the desk. Anyway, I walked in there. He looked at me and says, um, come to get your kids. Yes, sir. I thought, oh, I hope. Hope he doesn't ask me anything about where I go to school or anything like that. I didn't have any money. None. No hospitalization. He looked at me and says, um, don't you go to that Bible college? I thought, who told? Do you have to be baptized in water to be saved and go to heaven? Would that make the person who baptized you your savior? There are at least five baptisms in the Bible. Which one gets you to heaven? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book, or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.